Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Ask Industry Podcast, episode 137. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today... TV commissioning and production. Lucy Lumsden is a former head of comedy at BBC and Sky TV. She was involved in commissioning for more than two decades and was the woman behind commissioning some of the funniest and most well-loved comedy shows in the last 20 years, including Outnumbered, Miranda and Moonboy. Recently she decided to swap sides, deciding she is not going to do any more commissioning and she is going to start her own production company. Yellow Door is the result of that decision. Yellow Door is a London-based production company that focuses on comedy and comedy dramas. We got into why she's moved away from commissioning, what unique things her production company offers, and so much more. In the past, Lucy has chaired the Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Awards, the Funny Women Awards, the David Nobbs Memorial Trust Comedy Writing Competition, just to name a few. Now she's running her own competition. Now, in order to enter this competition, you need to be a British Comedy Guide Pro member. Basically, Yellow Door and Comedy.co.uk have teamed up, and Lucy would like to try and get some exciting and interesting stories from really motivated writers. At the time, if you're listening to this on the day it came out, on the 1st of June, you have about nine days to send in your script to her through that website. If you'd like to become a BCG Pro member, please do use the code ATI. It will save you £5 off a yearly membership and it will throw a few quid my way to help keep this show going. So please do use the code. I'm personally going to be entering the competition. I think it's an outstandingly exciting competition. If you get through the first and second round, your script is going to be optioned through Yellow Door to potentially be taken forward to channels. Doesn't mean it's going to get made, as we discuss in the podcast, but it does mean that you're going to have the backing of someone who has years of experience in TV and uh, an ability and a keen eye on what a script needs to sell. So I think it's an amazing opportunity, and I think it's one that you should definitely jump on if you have some free to- free time. I'm I'm slightly annoyed with people saying that I've got free time because we're in lockdown because I've had more to do than normal. But if you have some time in between now and the deadline, please do enter. It's a very exciting competition and it's not one of these ones that comes around very often. So that's my plug for that. Code ATI saves you five pound off that for the year. 
I love this episode. We, if I'm honest with you, we got lost in conversation, and I, I just enjoyed hearing all of her thoughts and feelings on TV and commissioning and production and everything. I think I think this is going to become a classic ATI episode. I think if you're someone who wants to get into TV or TV writing or even are just interested in the side of commissioning, you're just interested in what goes on in the head of a commissioner or even you want to be a commissioner or work in TV yourself, so maybe you don't necessarily want to write shows, you want to work on the other side of it. There's something in this for pretty much everyone. Um, I'm really proud of it and I hope you enjoy it. If you're new here, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. Five stars would be great. If not, four stars would be great, as long as you write a review that reads like a five star. And either way, please do join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously. But for now, this is Lucy Lumsden. That, that that odd time at the BBC, I found myself as the first controller of comedy commissioning, ridiculous title. Yes, I don't think I, I particularly wanted the job, I'll be totally honest, uh, right at the beginning, because it didn't really exist. We were trying to figure out how the system, how the best way of doing the commissioning system at the BBC, which was all about the channel controllers not having quite so much on their plate and sharing the load a little bit more. But hey, I was really honoured to get it. It was just, I was kind of young and, you know, a bit scared of it all, I'll be How totally old? honest. How old at that time, sorry? Um, I don't know, about 34 or something. Okay. Was I that? Mm. Anyway, I can't remember. Okay. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I will be honest, it was quite a male world, and it was a lot of saying no to people and, and holding your ground. It got easier as I went on, but right at the beginning, you're, it's not just you in a job. It's like the job has to has to define itself, and you're the one to do it. So you asked, how, how did I scout for shows? I mean, really, that job at that time was almost just relying on all your suppliers to do the, that scouting job for you. I kind of found myself as this King Solomon figure to just bombarded by ideas and you and the team, very much part of a team, trying to look for the best ideas. And, and it was quite difficult at times. People, you know, very, very important people with amazing legendary status and maybe occasionally saying no to those people and allowing some of the new to come through. Yeah, a lot of just trying and remember to be to you are representing the viewer it's a really privileged position to be in making sure you're making the right right decisions uh, as best as you possibly can <laughs> completely and in terms of because it sounds like that's carried through like they're still controlling commissioners now yes so that was the start of this new way of commissioning yeah yeah it was the beginning across all those genres yeah so yeah and and I can imagine that that I mean what what was the process like before were you in, were you aware of the process before you started like why were they changing it then so before that I was in this bit called the independent commissioning group which was set up to to basically cope with the vast the volume of indies ideas that were coming through and that was very much seen as a separate bit of the BBC from BBC in house and I think the idea was to find a bit of the BBC that could bring these two bits together and Mark Thompson who was the boss at the time saw saw what we call the ICG as the kind of model to to base it was really about the channel controller not being so overwhelmed with making every single decision and trying to elevate I suppose experts in the industry to be helping making that decision with them it was this twin tick system yeah. which is which is 
good to a point, but it, you know, it was kind of tricky at times. Like, where does the buck actually stop? Were you mm. share, sharing that responsibility? And it's worked. So, and it continues to work for now. It was like a really good time, very exciting time at the Beeb. Completely. And why you? Did you find out why they picked you? <laughs> no, so, like, there must be a, a reason um, why you, especially if you didn't really want the job. You know, there must have been a reason uh, why they picked well, you. Well, I'd, I'd been there for uh, a while. I knew how mm. the systems were. I think I really, I really loved the job. I really mm. loved working with all the indies that I'd been, you know, whether it was execing or when I started there, I was just reading scripts. So... And I, I think, I hope, I was good at being not a not a producer with their own axe to grind, but someone who could uh, diplomatically mm. <laughs> deal with a lot, a lot of people just just begging you to commission their idea and kind of calmly trying to sift through and make the right decisions. So I don't know why me, uh, you know, Jane Bennett at the time like my style and and it really worked and I really like working with her so yeah why me I don't know (laughs) I was there it'd be my first question I'd be like why am I here Well, it, what I find really interesting is is the you because you've worked on both sides of it will be more than aware of the process of getting a show made yeah. and sort of how long it takes for that huh. to, to go through. Yeah. And I wondered if you could maybe explain. I mean, f- first of all, you, you know, but there's there's loads of stories of previously the BBC would just invite in writers and they would discuss and they would and they would work with them. Yeah. Was it was it still in that stage or was it a case of you had a slush pile of indie pr- scripts and and ideas like what what was it like? The pro- Process. Yeah. Well, that that kind of the writers coming. That was very much more BBC in-house. You mm-hmm. could remember remember the vast amount of producers there who are sifting through the, all those scripts. So when I was talking to BBC in-house, whoever was in charge, so it was John Plowman, would have already gone through and prioritised what he was going to pitch for that particular. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a bit more strict about commissioning rounds at the time. And then from the indie world, well, we had those kind of key suppliers, and again, they they've done their thing of prioritising prioritizing what they want to bring to you so don't think that my job was sort of going through loads and loads of kind of uh, scripts unsolicited scripts it it wasn't that I sort of sat for better or for worse kind of quite high above above that so you know my relationships more with with the MDs of those indies I really sort of trust trust those people and they're really forged I think I hope really good good relationships there and then on the BBC in-house side very reliant on the head of comedy at the time and my time was mainly John Plowman to have really really gone through that difficult process keeping all his producers happy but making sure that he's not pitching you know you pitch too many things you're kind of cannibalizing what you're offering I want I've always wanted people to talk about their the thing they are screaming to make next and those choices are really difficult because you're, you're beholden to talent you've got you've got other things that are governing your decisions but really the buck stops with what's what's the best thing and, and I'd say for better for worse because actually ultimately I, I found that a little bit frustrating it was sort of a grand midwife to everybody's ideas so you even though I went on to Sky and did a similar job as head of comedy, ultimately I kind of thought, oh, I, I'm missing being much closer to shows and writers and talent. That's why I left. I was going to ask about that because you, you moved from BBC to Sky and I wondered what the difference would have been like working for a public broadcaster to a private one. Like, did you, I, I, I mean, I don't know if this would be too specific, but do, did you have to go to meetings and like say, well, this show will get ads from these people? Like, because mm. I'm assuming that there's a certain element 
private broadcaster being more interested in profit than the BBC. Oh yeah, huge, yeah. hugely. A very strange thing kind of happened when we went to Sky, which was it, it was really fr- freeing actually. And we were we were, <laughs> we had a really blank, a completely blank slate, and we did have a lot of money to spend, and we we needed to to see the results on air quite quickly. So uh, amazingly, I was very protected by Stuart Murphy, who'd been the BBC Three controller, who'd come over to Sky to run programming. He was very good at letting us do our own thing, be left alone and so rather than being rather beholden to a, a system at the BBC being as I say very fair magnanimous and making sure everybody got the sort of fair shout we actually targeted talent in a slightly different way we sort of didn't have time to be too system based and it was for a commissioner a sort of interesting hybrid of being a bit of a producer and we would make lists of who we wanted to talk to and we went out and talked to them and we we weren't yeah we're funded in a different way so it gave us a free a freedom so sky was very very different and very interesting and and i'm really grateful that we were left alone to make those choices yeah. and thank god thank god they turned out to be good ones and trust it was really nice to feel really really trusted there i can imagine because with freedom also comes restrictions because even though you've been given more budget and availability to go out and find other talent in a in a less formalized way obviously they aren't going to want 12 hours a day of comedy necessarily they're going to you know have other slots and times and things what what constraints were put on you at the bbc versus sky or, or that sky versus the bbc um so constraints at the bbc i suppose yeah you're you're very you're very slot driven it's very specific your budget's really carved out and it, and it really didn't shift across the year the commissioning cycles was very rigid it was hard to be that spontaneous but god there were huge benefits you had this incredible pipeline of talent you had radio you had all sorts of st- really good things in place that you were kind of almost part of a pipeline of ideas coming through so sky was totally different we weren't we we didn't have any <laughs> we didn't we avoided structure we were kind of all quite ex-bbc we were on the rebound of a kind of corporate training in our, in our careers so it was it was incredibly freeing and not to say we didn't have targets to meet we absolutely did but it was quite an unknown so we could take advantage of it being an unknown to bosses at Sky to say do trust us we've got a really good raft of talent our big thing at Sky was creative freedom so whatever whatever shape size ambition of your idea we think we can we can achieve it at Sky so so the horrible histories gang we kind of said what do you want to do next and that turned into Yonderland which felt incredibly freeing for them and someone like Ruth Jones who we Stuart and I got to know Gavin and Stacey again the the conversation was more what do you want to do and we will pay for it Mm. so Stella being an hour-long show and ended up being six series was that Trollid was the supermarket sitcom possibly we would have well I've had that sitcom pitched and and it just was unfeasible given the size of a set and to portray a a supermarket believably but we didn't let that stop us from commissioning that and it was it was a massive cost up front but it it proved to be cost effective as as it went on and then we did things like commission huge series of things we'd commission two years worth of a show we didn't have to tread lightly and we didn't have to be too cautious so that sort of form of commissioning was really freeing i think there was real there were few lessons that could be learned there you know Mm. it was an exciting place to be i think i think the thing that i find really interesting is 
most people, uh, or at least most performers that I know, aim for the BBC as their first sort of either radio or TV thing. And it, it always sort of appears to me like the BBC have structured ways of supporting writers to come through, whereas private businesses maybe, or private broadcasters don't necessarily have that. Did you did you put anything in place, or was there anything in place when you were there to, to help sort of, you know, mentorships or... or at Sky? Yeah. So Sky, you've got to remember there was no, at the time, no Sky Studios, there was no in-house. So that mentoring, nurturing was happening within the indies that we, we were dealing with. BBC, on the other hand, has got this enormous, wonderful machine called yeah. Sky, a BBC Studios or, a, you know, BBC in-house. And that's where all that mentoring and you could bring on very new. I was very aware of that at Sky. It was mm. very hard to do something. You've got to remember the ambition of it and to do something brand new with a brand new writer it was quite a bright bright sun that you were putting these people into but we did do the occasional sort of new talent thing but always always harnessed with with someone who I think could bring those people on I mean a a new brand new writer was Simeon Goulden who wrote Spy which uh, Darren Boyd was in and uh, but you know that was very much under Jimmy Mulville who you know took him under his wing so it, I've always thought with commissioning as a bit of a puzzle, as an element to a show where you feel that's really exciting, really new, fresh voice, but there's someone around, there's an expert in there mm. who can bring that person on. It's sort of, that's a duty of care almost to, to the newer talent coming through. Completely, because yeah. you can't, you, you know, someone, they're going to retire at some point and you need someone to replace them. And there <laughs> needs to be some sort of process in place. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I, I saw an interview of you where you said, you were asked what makes a co- good commissioner. And you said, uh, you can't just commission your mates. That's point one. Two, you have to have a breadth of knowledge of other shows and people working in the industry. And you need to know that producers always know more than you. <laughs> How do you separate personal feelings from scripts and people that you know versus people that you don't know that are coming in? So as a commissioner... That, Either as a commissioner or yellow door. Uh, okay, so, so as a producer, it's really, really different, I think. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a commissioner, there is something about you are... You're in a bloody privileged position. Mm. You are making choices on behalf of your audience and you have to... It's, it's impossible to put personal taste totally to one side, mm. but something else that has to kick in, which is thinking for other people, I think is the hardest bit of the job to really do that well. Producer, I mean, I felt it very liberating because I suddenly went, oh, look, I can, what, what, where, where is my taste? Let's have a little look at this. And, and it kind of took a little while, you know, for, to read lots and lots of scripts and figure out, oh, look, I'm not, I'm not drawn to that. Uh, I kind of probably would have been as a commissioner, but as a producer, I've got to probably stick around with this, uh, this idea for minimum two, three years. And if it was successful, way, way beyond. So you have a hugely personal relationship with with a project with writers meeting those writers feeling feeling you've got something to contribute and knowing that you can go on the journey together and and not hate each other by the end of it so yeah i i mean i it's taken me a while to really to to really get this huge responsibility that comes with the producer every word you say you have to think very carefully about it and and every note you give you really need to have thought through it's something i take really seriously much more challenging much more kind of intellectually challenging and and much more rewarding as a result for me i Mm. mean i've loved the last three years it's been why i because i I was trying to put myself in in your mindset while writing these questions and i was thinking 
you know, when you when I when, from what I know about the BBC and from what I know about Sky, you know, they they know what their quote unquote audience is looking for for yeah. BBC Two and Primetime or whatever it would be. And so I can imagine when you when you see an idea, you go, well, I just know that won't fit there, or I know that they're not going to put that forward. How do you? I'm trying to think because I've literally started the question and then hashtag it going finish that at some <laughs> point because because I, I can't. It's sort of like how do you? So say you at your own production company were uh, brought an idea that yep. at the moment you're like, well, you know what. I know the channels aren't looking for anything like this, but I'm drawn to it and I love it. Yeah. How do you validate investing time and money and effort into something that at the moment, at least, you know won't get made or you know doesn't have a slot on whatever channel this person wants it to go to? I would still back it. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe, maybe I'm mad that way. But <laughs> I, I get, again, remember I'm on the rebound of being a commissioner. Of so I get incredibly excited by anything that, mm-hmm. that just I haven't seen before. I feel I'm, I, you know, I just feel I've got to, ha- I've got to be part of something. I think there's probably an area of um, punt, the punt mm-hmm. that sits on my slate, and then there's an area of pragmatism that this is this is good, yeah. and this is really likely to excite excite a commissioner or fit a need. I've heard that you know there's a they're needing something at the moment. You have to weigh up if you're being asked to spend quite a bit of money on something that's really a punt I will think quite carefully about that so you know I'm it's now my money you know I've Mm. really got to decide how much I want to spend and where so a bit of a mixed ecology to be honest but I'd I'd hate to not develop something because a a little voice at the back of my head said I think this is hard to get away we have no idea what's what someone's looking for and what a commissioner might have the same response as me which is I don't think I didn't think I wanted this Mm. but that's so good and we Weird and something I haven't heard before. I, I I usually feel if I'm feeling it, I've still got the wiring of a commissioner within me to have a bit of a shorthand of they might think this might be worth backing as well. Just yeah, but I can't develop everything. So no, that's the frustration. Is now and again you have to say you think I've got two things in this area, similar things we used to have at the channel. Uh, you know, I really need to just go for one rather than spread things a bit thin. I love podcasting. I don't know if that's obvious. <laughs> but um, what what I love about podcasting is, say, for example, I have an idea. I can, I mean, particularly with audio, because audio is a lot easier to just edit and put out. Uh, I can make something and pilot it that day, almost. Yeah. Whereas with, obviously, video, you can do that with YouTube up to a certain point, but it takes a lot longer to edit video than audio. And something I couldn't see in your background, and maybe, I, maybe I've overlooked it, and I'm sorry, would be, say, for example, you loved an idea, and you're like, well, at the moment, I, you know, the commissioning rounds are happened you know it's not going to happen again for another six months i really want to make something just so that when it's ready i can send it to them yeah. have you ever done a thing where you would make a 10 minute pilot of a of a radio or a tv show and then send it in afterwards like yes a, yes you've done that okay. yeah I have, sorry for missing i have that. done that <laughs> well, well it might be a private thing that i've not well yeah. well often because they are they're like your workshop moments okay. so you're you're kind of experimenting but yeah i have done that but you're right it's bloody time consuming yeah and it's your and you're, you're spending your own money on yeah. it so I mean it's, it's an interesting one because I've if you overdevelop something too much mm-hmm. and I remember this 
you slightly you might have taken a bit of the joy of the commissioner's ability to advise and shape and you know it is, there's a real pleasure to be had in that so mm. there's a little bit of a trick to it of showing enough so that you yourself feel confident about it but not making it so polished that you go oh well well done you've done all the work i think i'd say someone like channel four really particularly enjoy working with you i i like doing things to prove it works for me and then you know when you look at a commissioner and i was i i used to have this i i could look into the whites of their eyes and be very very sure that i know it's going to work i've tried it i've tried i don't know the new new bit of talent everyone's talking about but shall we see what they're like in this particular role so so there's that but you've got to weigh it up it's all cost money yeah. <laughs> you can't do everything Oh, complete. One, of, one of the favourite notes um, I got given very early on because I'd written something and someone the first thing they said on it was don't put the name of the talent you want to play that part on there because <laughs> A they might want to work with you and pick people you know based on what they've got or who they work with and B don't like because if you because if you can't get that person yes it will be the most heartbreaking thing in the world where you've written it specifically thinking of, unless yeah. you literally know them and you can say you've got to do this yeah then there's no point so I know exactly what you mean on that front uh, uh, and you know it will be the right time for an idea so mm. you might have that person in mind but they might be really famous for a different show in the year mm. and that means that not so looking out out for another vehicle i think also i'd say that you know you can verbally say these things but mm. committing it to papers really is like a little bit of a con- contract <laughs> well, yeah. Say error. Yeah. yeah it's it's suddenly cemented isn't it and you really want the idea to live quite freely mm. and then when the timing's right or the right channel is interested listen you know really listen to what your commissioner says because they're giving you clues all the time mm-hmm. and be open and respond you know respond uh, rather than dictate yeah did you or would you ever just flat out go no do you have an idea yeah or do you always give feedback do you mean now sorry but it could be a commissioner hat or producer hat this is the thing i've because i've i've separated these two these two parts of your career (laughs) so i don't know whether do you you want to explain what your production company is so that we when when we're answering the question as two separate parts people know what you're doing and what's going on well okay so so yellow door is me um (laughs) yellow door uh but i think the thing that people might have seen recently is the cockfields which played out on gold at the end of last year which joe wilkins and wrote with David Earl and had Diane Morgan in it and Sue Johnson and Bobby Ball and Nigel Haver, Sarah Parrish anyway. uh, and we're really pleased with it uh, so I've done quite a few things but I suppose the first sort of series that was did, did well for the channel and is um, that Cotfields so so I kind of use Cotfields as a bit of a benchmark of, of the sorts of shows I love which family is at the core and uh, a naturalism about performances warmth I love warmth so when you ask me about if I say a flat no mm. I think I think I know really quickly now if there's a tone that I feel I couldn't live with for the amount of years it takes to get a show off the ground and that's because I you know I do need to now personal taste is a huge mm. huge thing it wasn't before I, I was slightly putting that to one side to be I hope a good commissioner clicking with tone do we share the same sense of humor 
in this script and let's cut the crap. If you don't, let's let's move on because you sh- you'll find a producer who does share mm. your sense of humour. And then commissioning is a boring answer to this, which is <laughs> we've got something else like it, and that would be yeah. that that quickest no is usually based on that one, which is a really annoying thing to hear, but it's a sort of fact of life. But hope I've always not wanted to say no based on idea alone. I find find that's madly short-sighted when it comes to comedy and always wanted to see a script and hear the dialogue and hear Mm. characters come to life. If you say no based on sort of setting alone, it's a bit bonkers, really. Has there ever been a show that you couldn't make either as a commissioner or a production company that has later on gone to be made and you've regretted the um, decision? I was really pleased and I think I oh, am okay. constantly <laughs> pleased that I never let, let I never missed the Beatles type <laughs> thing. I was being hugely jealous of shows. I think some like Peep Show was frustrating because mm. brilliant David Mitchell Robert Webb had been so working for the BBC for so long, early, early days and then and their Peep Show came along but I think that was, yeah, straight to Channel 4. I'm going to give you a really boring answer, which is, I hope, nothing, no, nothing was pitched that then was, was a huge success elsewhere. We're very privileged at the BBC, where you pretty much were pitched the biggest ideas first. So it's not like we were taking on other ideas mm. from elsewhere. It didn't feel like it anyway. Yeah. Or people lied really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> Does having a famous name attached to a script make it more likely to be made? <laughs> well, I think it's, you have to, choose that piece of talent cemented to the idea very carefully if it is someone who's already attached to something else it is a real frustrating problem because you've or you've closed down the opportunity to discuss casting but you know if you're making your idea shiny and bright and you want to put two pieces of the puzzle in place to make all you're doing is making the other person feel confident that there's a rounded offer in place, then it can be, it can immediately open a door, mm. immediately. So, yeah, and, and I think at Sky, quite often we would talk first and foremost in terms of on-screen talent. You look at a lot of our choices, they were vehicles for so-and-so. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Little Cracker um, series of li- little shorts that were designed to be basically, you know, we hope, hopefully kind of went to those national treasures, very, very well-known figures from comedy and drama and ask them what their uh, specific memory from their childhood a kind of formative stage of their career yeah. pre-fame that was the idea mm. when they were like all the rest of us yeah not attention seeking <laughs> yeah and so that was a sort of shameless move to get a get a star-led vehicle to sky kind of quite quickly you know that's kind of a bit of an exceptional commission but yeah just the power of a name we started with the name with those those ideas and then a little script would be devised around them and out of out of that season came Moonboy, if you remember that one chris o'dowd's imaginary friend uh kind of coming of age sitcom and that started as a little short so that was hugely pleasing that these little short spawned series. And I think BBC Three are doing it with their, like the online version of stuff yeah. like that. And I think that's a, I, I like the process of it going from smaller to increasingly larger projects. Yeah. And I think I'll be, I mean, there's a place for the one off interesting thing mm, to try mm. out new talent but really if you're investing in talent you it's right you should look at an idea that's got a life beyond it otherwise it's it's like the end of the story and it's a bit of mm. a slightly mad waste of money yeah so they should be on a little path and feel very looked after by that channel that makes total mm. sense yeah no i completely get that 
obviously TV trends change daily at the moment you know they're changing all the time yeah. both in terms of audiences who are watching stuff and in, in terms of political correctness and, and in terms of what's being allowed have you ever had a show in the past that you made or even just an episode of something you made that wouldn't get made now I think tastes were more outrageous actually we got away with quite a lot I think of a show like Monkey Dust Harry Thompson made which was absolutely brilliant animation that was extremely risque I mean I've, I'm a big believer that comedy is the genre to say everything it should be and it depresses me if we feel that we putting any restrictions on things. You have to look after a show that has a voice that is probably not reflecting the mainstream sort of POV and make sure it is comedy after all. There's a bit of a contract with that audience that it will make them laugh. So Mm. use the different platforms on the channel wisely so that it doesn't chucked out there and shot down before he even tried by people saying, it's not funny, it's not for me. I can't, I mean, I... I've avoided saying the word flea bag, but I think there's a really good, such a great reason why it started in the theatre space. And so theatre, I went to see, see Phoebe in that first, that first run at Soho Theatre, which was an amazing experience, but I'm so glad it was done on this tiny, this, in this tiny space where it mm. could be experimental and really just felt Phoebe could say exactly what she wanted to say and then be allowed to grow in the right sort of spaces. I just think, yeah, look after shows that have a particularly strong flavour to them because things get shot down so bloody quickly. We might be missing the next brilliant, bright, shining, loud, crazy, caustic, hateful voice. I mean, my experience, especially through this podcast, has been finding that there are new trends and that's causing slight restrictions on things that get made or at least there's changes in what would get made and what won't get made now as much as i think being sensitive to to more people being able to express that i think that's something social media is allowed is more people have been able to just say actually i don't like that and i've never liked that sort of thing on tv yeah whereas before they might have had to send like a letter off to they did i think they phoned they phoned the log at the bbc exactly and that seems a very much more personal and and long-winded way of of sort of um, articulating a problem. Did you ever, or or maybe it was a little bit sort of into Sky more than BBC time, did you ever look at the conversations that were happening on social media for shows you were commissioning or putting out, and how much did that inform what you were doing next? I I definitely, I was a bit addicted, it is really addictive, because if (laughs) you've come from the Beeb, and it was this log and this remoteness of people... Right, oh my God, it's so archaic. But, mm. uh, you know, when I did look at the log when I was there. So Twitter was just this huge extent, extension of that. I will confess, I was obsessed by Twitter when from it started. I found it just really fascinating to have that direct rapport with the audience. And remember, Sky, very, very engaged with, it doesn't call them audience, it calls them customers. That dialogue between people who pay for you and making sure that they are getting something that, that they can't get elsewhere, that was, that was drummed into us really, really early on. And mm. I really enjoyed that and thought it was really important we weren't just i suppose indulging ourselves with commissions that we liked but we needed to see the evidence out there and immediately of what was what was landing i mean the curse of it also is that new ideas get shot down very quickly but that's our job to curate and filter and look at the sort of consensus probably by the end of the process but it was it was very much in our weekly meetings social media was really really you know it had its own moment 
uh, as, as a way of us measuring our success. And uh, I think that was a good thing. No, I remember uh, John Montague on this um, a while ago, who's one of the commissioners at Sky, and yeah, he kept saying customers, and I found that really interesting <laughs> because uh, because I I don't think of myself I have a Sky account I don't think of myself as a, I think of myself as a watcher or an audience mm. member rather than a customer. Yeah, um, it's a bit like um, what, what are they, they on, on Twitter or Facebook? They say you're a, a user of it or whatever yeah. or, or something, and it just <laughs> it seems really like you know you're trying to make me dehuman so that it's easier for you to sell my data. Yeah, like like I'm a, I'm a you know or a consumer of it or whatever. Like I just I, I'm hesitant to call everyone who follows me a fan or whatever. <laughs> but equally, you know, that's much nicer than going you know oh I'm a I'm a consu- I'm a yeah. user. Yeah. yeah. So I think language is really interesting between the two mm, broadcasters. That's true, as well. and it, it, the word customer took me a while to get used to it. Mm, no, definitely. Do you think it was quicker or slower getting something created or made through private or public broadcaster? I think it was quicker at Sky because there was less to go through. So I remember arriving at Sky and the desk was blank and it was the biggest shock of my bloody life. Yeah. I mean, it's BBC, I'd never got to the end of the reading pile. Not yeah. not any day I, I was in my 11 years there. Whereas Sky, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I've got to, we've got to generate this. These mm. scripts are not coming in without us making a hell of a noise mm. to shout about opportunity and money and what we were after. So it was very different relationship with with our suppliers which was going out and being proactive and targeting talent and that's what made it really exciting i mean and and less time consuming of mm. feeling beholden to the pile of scripts it didn't it didn't exist yeah. so it was very freeing and and we had a very particular thing to say to people and we coined this phrase smart mainstream so you know something different about what you're offering but don't forget we can't also mm. make a tiny niche show that the four people will watch be brave and bold and you know supersize your idea and that, and that really was responded to i think we felt we were offering the whole industry something that they weren't hearing from any other broadcaster i think that still feels the same today yeah i'd say so no because uh, th- that would have been a really good springboard to my next question but i don't <laughs> i don't want to move on from this point before bbc have a cr- uh, accredited suppliers is it or approved the suppliers for shows or at least or at least i've been told they do now like you have to be you have to be a approved supplier to to produce shows for the BBC okay I didn't I didn't know that is that not okay because I've had two people on recently who've been talking to me about that then then so. that's probably right I okay. just hadn't heard that ter- okay. terminology fair enough and I wondered if that was the same at Sky or whether it could be any production house can send something in or even any unrepresented talent can send something in I can't speak for how it works now but when yeah. we we started I, there was definitely no, no list that didn't exist that sort okay. of who's approved and not <laughs> that's quite funny I don't think so I don't think approved is probably the wrong word because I don't think it was you know we're fine with you I okay. think it was more they had been uh, I think it's like the NHS type thing where you know some sort of track record y- yeah you're a yeah. supplier or yeah. whatever it is yeah. I mean I suppose we did that in a slightly unspoken way of, of mm. again you know you've got to think we we had a short amount of time to deliver big shows yeah we sort of looked for the experts in order to achieve that. I'm not saying so. I remember doing very, very new shows like This Is Jinsey with a brand new company. We did a couple of those, but in the main, you were looking for someone to kind of hold hold the hand, and they were usually big indies who had really impressive track records but really not not exclusively that they were hopefully led led by the idea just you want to make sure the people around an idea have got experience and aren't quietly massively intimidated by what they've just been commissioned to do completely because <laughs> i can imagine as much as it's a nice feeling to get the commission i reckon the next day is like okay so where do we go oh yeah. yeah i yeah. think i think it doesn't matter who you are you still feel like that yeah leave the meeting going oh 
shit, if we're yeah. gonna make this thing. <laughs> I regret everything. They said yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that was gonna happen. <laughs> I thought I could go home and come oh. up with excuses for why they didn't. I think everybody <laughs> feels a bit like that. Mm. You get your ducks in a row and then you start planning. Completely, completely. Uh, well, you weren't, you weren't quite saying it, but you were talking about Sky and how their their user base or their customer base are behind a paywall, essentially. Yeah. Same as Netflix. Ah. I wondered what you think of Netflix as a, as a platform, what you think of on-demand players, and whether you think the collective viewing experience is... Um, Worth you, worth ruining is probably the wrong way of putting it, but like it feels like it's naturally not becoming a thing anyway. But whether you think that's a missed, I I don't think the two things connect. I mean, I watch a lot of things as a in, as a collective experience that are like on on Netflix with, with my okay. family. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm not feeling. I'm not worried about this area. Mm. I mean, I think I look at it in a really basic way, like. More platforms for comedy is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think the difficulty is freaking well finding these things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just amazed how this power of recommendation is such a big thing now. Mm. When my friends say, you've got to watch X, I think I listen to that much more than looking at a poster and going, oh, look, there's another big drama I have to watch. Um, because we don't have to watch. We don't have to sit there on a Monday mm. uh, at 9pm and, and watch it. And then I was thinking about, there are still events. I mean, Gavin and Stacey, if I hadn't watched that live with my daughter who'd binge watched the whole of this three series kept telling me have you heard of this show called Gavin and Stacey yeah, <laughs> yeah but, anyway. but I had to watch it live with her so that, that was a really interesting moment I, that doesn't happen very often but when it does doesn't it feel great it's mm. such a nice feeling to be all watching it at the same time I am very old fashioned like that but it was <laughs> it was great Twitter couldn't spoil it for us you know yeah. you're, you're on it you are absolutely on it as it goes out live I've always been a big believer in watching comedy together I love it mm. and I know my little family you know my you know my son will be watching his favourite comedy but he'll watch it on his own and I'm like oh it'd be really nice if we watch that together this is never mm. going to happen by the way yeah. but it, when it does and it does happen occasionally it's it's a really nice feeling you talk about it afterwards you mm. you, you have shared a laugh and a mm. laugh shared is a really nice feeling so i think it's something to keep striving for it we've definitely got to accept that people watch things on all different devices i mean we're t- so moved on i'm a big believer in like opening up loads of platforms and having much more dialogue between america and britain and i look at succession succession is feels a very very british show all that amazing production value and american gloss over it mm. it's for me it's the holy grail be nice for british comedy to do that sort of job um although i find succession hilarious so it's, <laughs> it sort of does does the comedy bit for me yeah and i and i guess i'd take a commissioning execs lead on that or whether there was an idea that frankly I've thought about the elements that matter to me yeah. character is it funny is it fresh exciting original is it saying something we haven't heard before those things that I will be thinking about mm. and then in that conversation with a commissioner they might go actually this would be bloody good for this new format that mm-hmm. we're looking at or we're investing in I'm like great great mm. as long as it gets made i don't mind that much mm. um so I, you know there's so much to think about already i think if i then had to worry about <laughs> devices i'd yeah. probably go mad yeah so yeah just trying to stay focused on the things that really really matter to mm. make it make a 
good lasting I, I care about returning comedy as well mm. you know and I think that's when you ask what I'd sort of say no to if something didn't have that life beyond that script mm-hmm. I think that's probably that is one of the reasons why I'll say no even if the idea is quite good I just can't see how this could convert to mm. returning series and that that would be something I'd say to writers is really think about that because mm. that's the world we're in Hello, welcome to the middle bit. I'm loving hearing about her time as a commissioner, how that came about, and how she handled such an important and varied job. It's it's just wonderful. I'm really loving all of this, and I really hope you are as well. Currently, I'm in lockdown, with no money coming in, as every gig that I had planned has been cancelled, every writing job that I had has been cancelled, and everything else is on hold. So I need to earn some money, so here comes your mid-roll ad so I can eat. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Did you get an ad? If you didn't, sorry about that weird pause. If you did, I probably got 0.1p for it. So if you do have a few quid spare and you've been furloughed or you have, you know, some extra work coming in or whatever, I understand it's a tricky time for everyone. And so I do I do understand uh, my audience and I do understand what I'm asking at this very odd time for everyone. But if you have some money or if you are able to contribute towards this podcast continuing, please do consider giving me a one-off donation via PayPal or becoming a patron from $1 an episode. Is this worth 70p? I think it is, but I'm biased, aren't I? All the support is amazingly appreciated. Thank you very much. Let's dive back in. Yeah, I think, I think, because I've seen a lot of people working on anthologies and, and I think Inside Number 9 has a lot yeah. to answer for for that because that's been such a runaway hit. But I think when you look at the backstory in the back catalogue of those two writers yeah you 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 realize they've been writing those for years it's not like they've just sat down and written six in and yeah. in, in six months or something you know like i uh, there's a there's a longer story there that you you sort of maybe maybe work on them but it yeah. might not get made now uh, and <laughs> and accept the fact that the bbc have got inside number nine yes of course and have just commissioned another six. batch of them yeah, so yeah. yeah i think anthologies are very hard to get away mm-hmm. 
you have to make it a very compelling reason why for a commission to make that an easy decision. Right, so changing the subject slightly, mm. Edinburgh Fringe. Um, yes. I found out that you, you went to Edinburgh Uni. I did. You did. So I imagine you've got a slightly different relationship to most people who just go up there for a month and <laughs> I do. then act like it doesn't exist for And I lived there in the end for seven years. So oh, yeah, straight after I, uni? Uh, yeah, a bit of a gap. Went back, did some directing mm. up in Edinburgh. Yeah, so I know okay. it very well. Yes, I do have a bit of a different relationship where everybody's going, wow, and I'm going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my partner, she lives up there, so I'm spending okay. a lot of time up there. And um, it's such. I, I think it's nicer outside the festival for many oh, reasons. It is a beautiful, yeah. cold, windy, uh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I think they know that, so I think it's, not insult- I think no. it's factually accurate. So it's not but what, I'm what, very fond of it. What is your relationship with the Edinburgh Festival and how has that changed? It's changed enormously uh, because when I was at uni, um, Bedlam Theatre was, um, the student theatre, mm-hmm. uh, was like uh, this venue that we put the student shows on during the fringe. So mm-hmm. uh, I can't say we was mass- I don't think there was much hiring it out for other shows, but... Um, what would normally be a, a bunch of, of slightly drunk students coming to see our shows, suddenly you had, like, members of the public coming. So, mm. yeah, it was quite an interesting kind of first introduction to The Fringe as it was fairly small at that point and then suddenly uh, went mad. So, uh, I have to say my favourite Edinburgh was when I did The Fosters, uh, I chaired The Fosters, I think it was called The Fosters at that time. Yep. <laughs> I was about I was about to ask you about awards and, um, and well you, you... I, I'll tell you why because I my God you do it yeah, I mean we, <laughs> yeah. we saw so many uh, and I'm not going to moan about it because actually it was probably mm-hmm. the best experience coming away from Edinburgh that year feeling that you'd seen everything mm-hmm. was uh, just wonderful and I did it just before I started my company so it was a great bri- a sort of bridge at exactly the right time for me yeah I mean I don't know it's absolutely mad it's so massive now again navigation is <laughs> such a running theme at the moment of trying to find stuff um, and I don't know what the answer is to that because <laughs> it's all there's a lot of good there but mm-hmm. yeah I think that would be my only uh, my only when I think about Edinburgh it's like Wow, you you go up and you probably have I don't know those three days to make the most of those days, and it's mm. just quite hard to na- navigate it now. Mm. It's the only thing. And and early days, I think it was pretty. It was easy easier to to. I mean, I sort of hung out of the, uh, the Gilda Balloon or Pleasants and a mm. bit of the assembly rooms, and that was it. Mm. And they were just, by the way, one venue. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like assembly rooms is spread around the city. Mm. So. Um, it's, you just want to make sure you have a good time rather than be totally bamboozled and exhausted by it all. And sometimes it can go a bit, a bit like that. Mm. Do you, uh, so, so I was going to ask you what you're looking for when you go up there. It sounds like you only go up for a short amount of time and don't do the whole run, as it were. It, dep- it depends what's, uh, what's going on if you've got a production. So uh, we were mm. very, very engaged with, with my last show, so I couldn't really do spend much time there. It's a quite a tricky one because I, I really like seeing people I know and I want to show my support for someone I might be working with. So that's probably mm. half of the time is spent catching up with people and um, seeing how they're getting on and, and you know, checking in and seeing if they're still alive. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, uh, what awards you keep an eye on? Um, I I really like. I think I think there should could be more awards actually. That was the next question yeah, after that. I'm just okay. trying to think because I I mean every producer would 
really value that that again we're needle it's needle and haystack time trying to find Mm -hmm. a script that feels honed and ready to go and I do find awards are really helpful little guides Mm -hmm. to sort of say oh this writer's done that and God, it helps when you're reading a script. Someone's been shortlisted for X. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ones that spring to, Rock, Rockcliffe is the one that springs to mind mainly because I was involved with it. But you know what? I can't. The fact that I can't think of that many is not good, is it? Mm-hmm. I really like the Comedy Crowd lot with their their website, and and I think they're really kind of on it in terms of brand new things, mm-hmm. more more kind of. Um, clips of new ideas but yeah it's a bit odd isn't it i think there should be more there was like the david knobs competition you know we need to try and try and look at more ways for writers to get that little accolade that sets them apart from everybody else mm-hmm. i mean tell me tell me what words you're aware of that i should be aware of um i don't know if i'd be aware of any that you're not i just for me for me uh i find i i like the idea of awards but and I like that there's more of them now than ever because there's more people up there than ever. But equally, I don't think it's so. For example, the are you talking about Edinburgh? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think like I was thinking about the kind of writers' award, but yeah, all right. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you, you could yeah, true. Um, or, or or we could talk about you know there aren't really awards at the TV festival, so it couldn't really. Are there? I don't think there are at the TV. No, festival. I don't think so. No. no. I don't in in Edinburgh. It seems like it's it. Most awards are catered for, like from posters to production to whatever. But it always feels like, how do you get them to come and see you? Because it's clear they can't physically come and see everything. I know, like for the newcomer award, they claim to see everything, or they claim to at least try and see everything. Because obviously, if they can't get in that day that they've scheduled you yeah. in, it's not their fault. They can't, you know, yeah. it's not their fault. You're doing very well. Um, so I, I guess it's, or if someone gets ill or something like that, yeah. um, you know, I've I've had reviewers email me and say really sorry we you know get the comp go but we're all we can't come you know and everyone gets ill that month so i don't know for, for me for me awards are useful but i i don't really look at them as much as i should in the month but then that's usually because i'm performing and i don't really yeah. want to take it seriously until i'm until i'm at home to be honest the the thing i suppose i look at it in a slightly different way now as a producer i i mm. I value the writers' awards, and I'm. I, mm-hmm. You know why? Because I'm not. I'm not really probably looking at the stand-up. I look at the script first, and then I would populate the script with brilliant cast. Yeah. So in my my the the way I, the way I look at it now in terms of comedy, those are the ones I really value. Mm. And I'm just thinking that there should there could be more, couldn't there? Uh, for writing specifically, yes. Yeah. Because I feel like they're very general yeah. at the moment. But then I don't know. It yeah. It feels it feels like when you become less general, people will use the. So if if you had like a specific award for a section of comedy or or a genre or, or something like that, you you find people use the specificness of it to downplay how important it is. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I so I think I think it's a double edged sword. If you've got more specific with a writing award, like you know the best under twenties, blah blah blah, they would say, well, you know, everyone's better when they're older, or, or you know, the longer <laughs> they've been going, or something like that. You know? Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, you're right. I think there needs to be certain kudos to the award for it to be mm. m- meaningful. Which is why I wondered which ones you look out for, or you or you or you keep an eye on. Do you know? I to be honest, I don't think I look out for them hugely. Okay. I think what happens when I get a center script and if mm-hmm. a writer says, by the way, shortlisted for something, I really honestly that that mm-hmm. matters that I take note. Okay. But because I I don't 
go to it's impossible to keep up with everything mm -hmm. i sort of use it as a bit of a filtering system mm -hmm. or you're a judge on these things and you're doing them all the time but i feel i did i did a bit of that and now i've got to invest in my time in in scripts that i can convert into a tv show completely yeah i was going to ask and it might be this sort of a similar answer then what reviewers you read yeah um for comedy for comedy um or even or even if like say we were talking about a flea bag earlier yeah you know if if you were looking to go and see someone who clearly is doing a scripted play or comedy or something yeah. like that which would, would would you look at reviewers or would you even look at on the no posters? i don't i don't think i do look at reviewers the okay. fact that i'm pausing on this question not that much no I, again want. i think <laughs> i yeah. think um i think it's uh friend, mates recommending people because I think uh, you can be swayed by a review that had a very particular, you know, relationship with that show mm -hmm. on that night. Yeah, in comedy, I think it would be whose whose opinion I trust, and then I'll mm. just in the in the chat that goes on. It's more personal recommendation. Is that is that performers or industry people you're listening to? That's my kind of producer chums, and okay. yeah, more that. Uh, I guess I guess people like me who can, can be quite objective and yeah. dispassionate because otherwise you go oh go and see my mate's show it's like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they're I think... quite it's, it, you know it, each each going going to a show is a bit of an investment of time so you want to be a little bit selective about who you go to yeah I feel like because PLs are obviously paid to have that relationship or paid to cultivate a relationship at least so that when they take on a show you're at least in their mind, statistically more likely to go and see it. But I feel like, in my mind, right, this is what I think is happening. There's like a comedy commissioner's WhatsApp group. And like, you just go, I'll oh, go check out this person. And like, it just gets sent round and then you all go, yeah, that seems good. Yeah, we'll go, let's, I'll tell group you where, trip, group trip. Yeah, where, when, there's a bit of that that go, not mm. WhatsApp Not group, a WhatsApp quite, group. But um, <laughs> you definitely, definitely going up to Edinburgh. Definitely. Yeah. When there's a t the TV festival, mm. And there's who, who to go and see. Mm -hmm. You whittle down to maybe, you know, 15 shows. Mm -hmm. for, you know, for better or for worse. But there's definitely mm -hmm. a kind of a, a word of mouth thing that goes around then. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you go for Edinburgh purely for work or for pleasure as well? Like, would you would you go and see other things that aren't work-related? Yeah, I did. I did. Kind of semi-successfully went with my family and we went oh, to... Okay really really different things which was great but but uh, ultimately I had to be there for work so you sort of go that was fun mm -hmm. but I've got six of those shows to see else <laughs> elsewhere it's it's uh it's always a tricky balance I don't think I've ever got the balance right but as I mm. say the the most the most uh rewarding one was was seeing so many shows like mm. you either deep dive into it or be really selective. Mm. So, yeah. Um, and, and Yellow Door from your website says that it's very, uh, like you deal with scripted comedy. Scripted yeah. Scripts. So I assume when you're going up and watching stuff, uh, you're maybe part scouting for, oh, well, they look like a performer I could put in this, or, exactly. or maybe in the future, as well as, that was a really tightly scripted show. I think yep. we could work together. Yeah. So Definitely both of those things. How, okay, I was, I was just going to ask what <laughs> what's I mean are you sitting at the back making notes like what what's your process for actually working Edinburgh and probably offshoot to this there's too many questions in one go I, I understand I can sit in your head you're like help, help. which ones which ones he's just going to talk about YouTube again but but do you use social media to scout for them ahead of time do you like use it to see what they're about before you go and see a show or 
No, I don't think so. Okay. Sorry, I, I don't know. Because performers put a lot of effort into their social Do channels. They? And I presume that that's mainly for non-industry people yeah, to take so, note. So, so I wondered if you did. So I, th- I think I wouldn't be persuaded to see a show necessarily on the social media thing. Mm-hmm. I actually say that. Now and again, you know, when someone does their little kind of a little ad, ad for their show... And you kind of feel a, a rapport with who they are, and go, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah, actually, I think I have my he- head turned by those moments. But again, you're in you're in a bit of a hurry to quite quickly know how to spend your precious two three days. Mm-hmm. So the research goes on really with that chat. Now, obviously, that mm-hmm. chat is with people who possibly more influenced with social media than I am. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it's definitely effective somewhere along the line. Yeah. It just depends who's really plugged into that and who, mm. who isn't so yeah it's it's hard remember I, I kind of do I, I don't have loads of people working with me so mm. it's me and I will I will really really select kind of quite carefully um, with TV as my end point it's not really just going to see someone mm. it is thinking oh, okay this person sort of had a really good Edinburgh last year but this might be even better and this is a tipping point for this mm-hmm. particular bit of talent that just might be uh, might have a series in them but I tell you the other thing usually those conversations have happened before Edinburgh mm-hmm. so you're seeing them sort of to <laughs> confirm an idea to confirm an idea yeah and um the best thing i think is to have been working with particular pieces of talent across the year edinburgh is possibly a bit of a moment to showcase an idea but you're already underway you mm. might have you might have you know done a shopping option mm-hmm. for their idea so edinburgh is almost like the end point for some mm-hmm. some talent yeah well, I, like the beginning of the journey with the producer completely i, I think that's a fallacy that because there's a really nice romanticized story of going to Edinburgh and getting spotted and getting, you know, <laughs> I think because that's there, people think that's still the way it works. And in, and in my personal experience, it's more you've, you've met up a few months earlier. That's right. And Usually. they like what you've do yeah. and what you've done yeah. and, and maybe just, or maybe even just like the idea of something and so like you said, they want to support you and see something completely different because if you're, you're, um, it was, I was talking to, actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to name them, so let's keep, I'll tell you after, but let's keep it like, <laughs> I was talking to a specific performer who had an idea for a, a show, or, or, or let's keep it as they were on a show, which is a completely different persona to their on-stage persona, yep. and they were talking to me about how when that show went live, it had an actual negative impact because people came to see them not expecting what they got and had people walk out because they were like, mm. this is not what we were after. And um, But I think it comes down to, again, you know, you still want to see every facet of that performer because you're working with them and you still want to support them. Um, and so that's not a good example, but it's, it's one of those things where you're not necessarily going to see their show because you're working with them on something else you're going because you're supporting them in general yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and that happens a lot by the way i do think it probably still happens that the edinburgh show is the beginning of that Mm -hmm. cycle for someone yeah um i think you just got to bear in mind there's so much to see Mm -hmm. and so much to get your head around to find that new producer who's who's looking at that brand new thing Mm -hmm. um it has got harder over the years because Mm of the cacophony of noise it's it's uh yeah i mean it's a great wonderful thing but it's all the work across across the year yeah. in the venues that that people know and love. I think that's where you're most, possibly more likely mm-hmm. to forge the beginning of a relationship and almost look at Edinburgh as 
a show the showcase mm-hmm. anyway that that's only my experience there may be mm. very different experiences out there and i'm talking a load of bollocks <laughs> well no this is about <laughs> you so so uh, anyway, it's good to uh, yeah. acknowledge that other people have their other ways but this, this is how you deal with it and and i suppose i mean the most interesting one or, or one of the most interesting one people i've had on with this was they said yeah i might go up for like two days at the start two days at the end because of the awards and stuff but i'll sit down and go through the whole program Bloody and i'm hell. like how do you i don't go through the whole program and i'm you know what i mean there yeah. for the month so i think i think it definitely varies based on what you're doing and where you're going up for and, and where you are in your career also yeah. in the producer because when i started out and i did early early days at the bbc mm. i had my highlighter out and i was going through the fringe program mm-hmm. and i'd go up and see a ton of, a ton of shows mm-hmm. so it's slightly different then so yeah you, you evolve with edinburgh depends where you are mm. depends on which time you've got <laughs> completely completely and and I know that you've judged, uh, I'm not going to reel them off, but you've judged a lot of other awards as mm. well. And I suppose, do you have a, a criteria for which ones you take on and which ones you work with? Like, I know, and like between... What, which uh, awards or... Yeah, which ones you'll, you'll be okay to judge? Like, do you, do you go into it thinking, I can offer something to this if they offer it? Or what's your criteria for being a judge for yourself? Um, I suppose, oh gosh, that's a really scary question. Sorry. Um, I, I, you know what, I just, I think I hope, hopefully channel the commissioner in me, which is, you know, judging, you've got, you've got a, uh, there's a bit of personal taste, Mm -hmm. but it's again, just looking at a little bit objectively, because you're, it's quite a big, big responsibility. That's the Mm -hmm. beginning of someone's career. You may not love their, their take on the world, but um, I think you've got to, you know, that it pisses me off if I hear someone say, you know, that that I, I didn't like mm. that particular joke. It was like, no, no, no. was it was it yeah. was it successful? Was their delivery confident? What was the quality of the material? And and sorry, if you if it wasn't for you, mm. you'd slightly shut up about it. Yeah. And that's my particular thing because you've got a duty to mm. judge judge them on again on behalf of an audience that sort of sits behind you mm-hmm. so that's my that's my style but other people are very can be very very subjective about how why they think a particular bit of talent deserves to win something or not but i, I don't really i'm not selective about which which awards so much mm-hmm. i don't i don't think i draw a big distinction between them okay um, I mean, well, that actually has brought me back to a question I was going to ask before because there's been a few uh, things that have happened. I, th- I think this probably happened after your BBC time with uh, quotas on, on TV shows um, and most recently um, ITV announcing no all-male writers' rooms and things like that. Um, where do you stand on, on movements in that sort of area? So so bringing on more female writers? Just a, just as a general, like, those, those changes. Not yeah. necessarily specifically female writers or or, or, or non-all-male writing type thing. Right. But well, I, I think we were lagging behind and it was getting a bit embarrassing. In fact, I was... At, um, with as in, in terms of progression for female writers? or in Yeah, of- yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. I guess that's what I'm, I'm f- sort of first and foremost in my head is... Um, uh, being a 50-50 event and in fact with Saskia and I remember some mm. people coming up to us and going so that's drama being taught, you know drama and um, that was particular about a- actresses um, so where's the co- what's the comedy response yeah. and Saskia's been brilliant taking mm. it on and I know it hasn't been easy you're, you're, you're any time you're, you're waving a flag and that's mm. a slightly unpopular thing to be saying 
trying to ring some changes um you're gonna you're gonna be shouted down but anyway i'm very supportive and i'm doing doing a few things to help in that area mm. um so i th- i think i think what's been tricky is is just it, so so i work with a lot of female writers and i'm prou- proud proud to do i have a very 50 50 split on my slate what I think is really frustrating is female-led on screen. Mm. It, I just want to try and make sure there's much variety because there seems to have been a slightly angsty female voice that's getting through with a point to prove. Yeah, I, mean, I, get what you mean. I feel yeah. as a we've had a lot of those shows, and I'm really there's on the one the, hand yeah. delighted mm. because because you know you've got a female-fronted show and mm-hmm. many many of them, but we must make sure there's a bit bit of variety. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Game Face, for example, because I think I think there's there are brilliant uh, emotional beats in that show. I mean, really mm. powerful, and it's warm and entertaining, and and really I don't know. I just find it's it, addictive viewing. Mm. So it's range. It's like we don't all have to have baby flea bags on the slate. Um, mm. Please let's make sure that we have a variety of voices coming through but so so um i'm wondering for your question possibly um i I just think we need to all be vigilant and and keep our eye on when when we've got too much of one thing going on and it is weird it's slightly too much of a feet a certain type of female voice and so so that was good but Mm. but we need to move on broaden it out we can we can have such more variety than we have at the moment Completely. Um, I, I think of it like maybe in the 90s, you had far too many Manic Pixie Dream Girl <laughs> female leads in films, for example. Yeah. And it's like, great, you know, I mean, not, yeah. not great necessarily, but, you know, great, you've got them on screen and they're doing a great job as the actor in that, as actress as a part, but there are other voices to yeah. be heard in that area. So maybe let's commission something more than just them, because yeah. otherwise you you run the risk of people thinking that's all they're going to be if if they're not an actress yet and they're looking at it because you can't what's the phrase I I think someone's who was it someone said recently to me you can't be what you can't see like you've got to you've got to be able to see yourself going forward and so I think that's always an important thing I just wondered what you thought of Maybe the way it's being handled, or the way that it's being dealt with, or or how maybe maybe how it's affecting your job. So it could be a positive. Have you ever benefited from some like change like that, or have you ever have you ever been sort of like had something not go through because of a change like that? Um, I mean, I definitely. Do you know what though? I was going to say I'm aware of a kind of the the not not the male led show. Not you know you have to really really think carefully about the male led show. Mm. And what I mean about is a, is a particular voice, a sort of ha- the hapless male that has been really yeah. successful in comedy. And I remember actually when I was at the Beeb that we we knew we had far too many of these shows way back then, and we were saying, Come, "Please let's ring the ring the changes." So I think in a way, when I look at a new script, I I'm I'm doing the same thing as I was then, which is is this fresh and is it something we haven't heard before? Mm-hmm. So that's where I suppose I'm just making sure that everything I've got feels different. And I love an autobiographical show. If mm-hmm. anyone knows me, they know that that's really my thing of what's the new point of view and that awful word, overused word, authentic. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the new the new story to tell from someone who actually bloody well knows what they're, yeah. they're talking about. Um, and, yeah, as a commissioner and both as a producer now... 
I crave those ideas and I and I you know that's the challenge I think Mm -hmm. to make sure that you stand out stand out from the crowd Mm -hmm. so and in terms of how it's been handled I I I think I think you were always unpopular when we announced big um, changes at Sky in terms of diversity you sort of have to make some really (laughs) unfashionable statement Mm -hmm. in order to just shift the ground a bit and take a bit of flack and that's going to come and then and then everything settles down and everyone can calm down mm. and actually look at what was behind that message. Mm-hmm. And it's just let's broaden broaden out the pipe, pipeline and who feels that they can be part of this industry, which can look really, really intimidating from mm-hmm. the outside. So it's make it less intimidating and our, hopefully our, what's on screen will benefit and reflect a more varied voice. We've still got to work on it. Um, I look at a lot of TV at the moment. I'm still hearing the same sort of voice and the same mm. sort of comedy. And I look at America and I go, there's, there's great things happening. We mm. need to work harder here. Mm. No, I get that. Um, and and I, I completely understand what you mean where you, you... But I mean, there's... And this is more of a commissioning-based question than a production-based question. Like you said, sometimes you'll get something through and they'll go, we've already got one of those or we've already got that sort of show. Would that sort of limitation ever help in terms of you getting more variety of different voices or hinder in that the zeitgeist might want more more than one sitcom or more than one show about a certain voice? Yeah. Um, uh, To be be honest, I I try and ignore. Um, (laughs) I'm afraid I do. I ignore the, we've got too many of of this sort of voice because I just, just try and look at the script and its quality mm-hmm. and you know what it might just be a question of you just wait a little bit but mm. don't give up on that script mm-hmm. um and that that has happened to me i had mm. a female-led <laughs> female-led show and it's, i know it's good uh it's come along at a time where there's a lot of mm. that voice so we'll we'll wait a while but that script's still good so yeah so you know you've got to sort of stick to your guns and not mm. not be that's just that moment. There's yeah. that moment and there's that commissioner saying we've got too many of this at the moment. And then there's a tweak that could possibly could be done to set it apart from other things. And also, remember, there are more than, there's more, more than one broadcaster out there. Of course, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's lots and lots of potential homes for a good idea. But, it, you know, if it's, if it's an idea that isn't very good and everyone's just being polite, yeah. lis- you know, really listen to that feedback as well. Completely, yeah. No, and not not hide behind the you know oh they don't want this you go actually maybe maybe it wasn't yeah. very good yeah no I get that you you <laughs> sort of it it's a self awareness of within writing and and um, I suppose well, I mean we're going to get into yellow door a bit now and um, I took before I ask that question this will be a good one then to to, to move these around how do you know what's funny written down versus what's funny out loud. <laughs> Um, I think it's quite hard actually yeah. sometimes I can read a script yeah. and then we'll shoot that script <laughs> yeah. and there is uh, there's definitely uh, something like Cockfields there's a massive laugh that happens because Diane Morgan's look as she responded to Joe Wilkinson or whatever mm. it might be um, just gave us something that was n- you could never see in the script mm. so um, yeah the comedy in pauses is really interesting and very hard to mm. feel it as you as you read um, so yeah does that answer your question I mean yeah it'll always be 
I suppose you use your imagination when you read. Yeah. I think that, oh my God, I've been reading reading scripts forever, but um, the quality of your reading time <laughs> and the way you read and having the voices in your head, um, I think, yeah, it, you can get lazy on it. And, mm. and I, I pick myself up if I think, actually, I don't think I've given that my best attention. Mm. Uh, so go go back and, and you know, read freaking stage directions it's quite easy to gloss you know you sort mm. of go from dialogue to dialogue um and then there's it can be a vast amount of detail there that the script might not quite be um you know if you're if you're not if you're being a bit lazy you can you can miss mm. so but you know i'm i'm i mean it's the joy of ter- converting something from script to screen is all those mm. little things that happen along the way that the performer adds and the director adds mm. so but the script the script is sort of your base, you know, your foundation stone, isn't it? Yeah. So, and the thing that you don't ever want to do is when there was a joke in the script for that to not be on the screen by the time, you know, you don't want that to happen very often because they're precious, yeah. precious things. Yeah, and, and a lot of work's gone into it. And <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you obviously work a lot in scripted comedy. Um, is that because that's your favourite or do you think that's the future for TV? <laughs> um... Oh gosh, I don't know about future for TV. I mean, <laughs> well, the, there's an interesting thing that people kept talking about the golden age of drama for a long time, mm. and, I, and I kept kind of saying, whenever asked, um, actually, I think it's the golden age of, of scripted. Mm. And then, uh, you know, I'm not saying I predicted the success of Succession. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but um, Succession is really oh. funny, mm. and I'm really, really delighted that so many things that are drama mm. projected as drama are actually i mean killing eve's hilarious so um so anyway there's a thing about scripted mm. i do i do i'm a real believer in it mm. and we shouldn't get too obsessed about those distinctions mm. and i suppose i just love it as a form because you can um really properly ex- explore character and uh, take people on a journey and tell them a story and all of those things. Uh, I think I was just drawn to that more than that stand-up sort of world. I think it's not just not quite how I'm wired. I'm also a big fan, though, of of the stand-up that's got the sitcom within them. So mm-hmm. early days of not going out and Lee Mack mm. and feeling um, that there was that rapport with the audience that made that audience sitcom feel just a natural progression for someone like Lee, or just, I don't know, some delicious synergy happens at that moment. So, yeah, and a b- big passion is audience sitcom for me, and it was something I was talking a lot about when I was at the Beeb, which you keep having to talk about because it's so hard and yeah. writers don't want to write it, but I still think it's really important to have mm. have it in the mix. No, completely. I mean, uh, for, from, an out, from an outsider perspective, if you like, from an audience, you know, customer perspective, um, you know, I, I see a lot of scripted comedy going on TV. I don't really see as many improvised things or as many uh, sort of uh, ability to just sort of go off script on TV. I think that's partly, like you said, it's quite expensive to put something like that on TV. Yeah. I see it a lot more in podcasting. I see there's a lot of like improvised shows mm. or, or freeform shows. And I wondered, I just wondered where your mind would have been at leaving sort of the commissioning side, going into production and maybe maybe being aware of a trend there that, you know, if you if you have a 30-page script, you know it will last half an hour, you know that it will fit into these slots. And so I, I, I didn't know whether it was, like you said, autobiographical, obviously fits itself a lot more to being a 
narrative-led thing rather than an improvised um, yeah. thing. So it might be that. But whether there's a trend in, in commissioning. Well, the only bit, bit I sort of keep wondering where the sketch shows show is mm. in terms of a trend, you know, like a sort of missing ingredient. They're, they're quite rare, rare now. What I find quite interesting, I suppose, is that the 30-minute format seems to be shifting, t- mm-hmm. certainly talking to BBC Three, that they're not obsessed with the 30-minute form, which is great. really freeing. Yeah. But, yeah, we also need to be conscious of the short form and mm-hmm. the way people are viewing and wanting, particularly with a brand-new character, you might just be able to only cope with a, a short amount. So something like People Just Do Nothing was really interesting. That it started, Didn't it start on a really short short form no i'm not sure i'm going to talk a load of bollocks there <laughs> um ignore all of that but anyway what i mean is i suppose these these different shapes and sizes of shows to be able to um nurture them and grow them in a really good healthy way before they're ready for that half hour i don't think i particularly see a change in the trend but as a if i was a commissioner still i'd probably be aware of what's coming the next two mm-hmm. years but i I have to accept that I don't know everything anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's so painful to admit. <laughs> I think we. I think everyone. There's loads of stuff everyone doesn't know. So, <laughs> but we don't want to admit it. No one wants to admit <laughs> no, that. It's painful. Um, do you accept scripts from people without agents? I do accept them. Okay. <laughs> my caveat is I will do my very best to read them, um, and if I if I know something's not quite clicking with me, mm-hmm. I will respond quite quickly and I won't be able to do I can't do sort of major feedback I'm mm-hmm. afraid but um, I uh, if if I do think it's got the beginnings of something then I will definitely meet up and we'll we'll talk more um, so I do my best it can take a while for me to get back to people because it's just volume of traffic yeah. I find it a bit mad when people say they don't accept unsolicited scripts you know, I don't I think know. it's more trying to make sure their inbox doesn't get spammed more than... Is it? Yeah. I just think it is our, our you know, the livelihood. It, mm. It's difficult to get through everything, but then it, you can always say, sorry, I didn't have time. Mm. Yeah, no, <laughs> I get that. that hard to write that. No, I understand. What uh, tips do you have for people that want to pitch a script? I, I <laughs> weirdly, I'd almost... Just make sure your script's really ready to send. The power of, but the power of that script that is that is your calling card. Mm. You pro- there's no amount of of chat, spiel, sell. I I I'm I'm not. I don't. I ignore all of that. It is the quality of the writing. So I think the biggest tip is don't send anything until it's ready. And by ready, really have run it by some people. If you've got mates, do a little read through. I mean whatever it takes but make mm. sure that you it is it is ready to ready to be made mm. i mean that's what a producer's looking at that they sort of don't have to do a vast amount of work yeah. to it um it's your shop window it's everything your script i don't i, I don't respond to any of the kind of gloss around a script mm. so um yeah don't have long emails you don't need it it's it's the material will do all the talking for you mm to get that first engagement with a producer. And then, and then it's a meeting. And um, you, I, I almost think, wait for a meeting until the, you've got someone who's really engaged with you. So your script has done all the breaking of the ice and all the groundwork in order for a meeting to really flourish. Mm. 
and use that time with the producer really well that you got an hour of their attention hopefully mm. yeah. so um, I, I kind of also say you know it's a conversation rather than a pitch sometimes mm-hmm. you're faced with a very nervous writer yeah and that makes me yeah everyone, everyone gets nervous and, mm. and really it's it's a chat it's just trying to find a meeting of minds and yeah. you might have one script to talk about but it's really great if you've got two or three other ideas mm. that you just might want to chuck into the chat to see what what strikes a chord mm. um, but you really keep it informal and fun and conversational yeah. and then you'll get the best out of that person you're talking to but I always think that meeting is only really good after they've after you've sent them something and they've clicked because mm. it's hard to do it cold really difficult yeah you yeah it's like everything it's you know it, it's life yeah exactly because <laughs> it, it's sort of I think I think you can lose yourself in feeling like this is my career sort of thing well in reality it's a relationship with someone that you like you said let's say it takes 18 months two years to even get it made let alone seen in front of a yeah. commi- you know it, you, it's a long time that yeah. you, you, you can't just hit send and hope that it's gonna yeah 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 but I think I think the regret sometimes is something was sent out before it was ready yeah and you kind of only got one chance you might have just one chance with that person so that's yeah. why it's that's so important yeah i think i think i think that's 100 percent correct but equally like i i think you can get or at least i can get as a writer i can get completely bogged down in oh i could add another joke in there or i can make that slightly tighter or i can get rid of like three words there or i can make this so where do you like because obviously you don't want to see the first draft no one wants to see the first draft (laughs) really when do you want to get involved like how how yeah when when do you want to get involved in a script i i think it's an interesting if it's a brand new writer so you're going from that standing start mm. you, you really are expected to see a pretty polished piece of work mm-hmm. particularly if they don't have a vast track record to be able to go by the way I'm, I made so and so and can show off about something mm-hmm. so you, you're asking quite a lot of that person to, to back you as the you know really at the start of your your career mm-hmm. it's if you are if you have got something of a track record and you've got a bit of tra- you know some sort of connection going then there's not so much pressure on that to be so so perfect you know you, mm-hmm. you you've got a rapport and and so you you've got a slightly more forgiving audience and mm. and a and and you can be really upfront of that and say I think I'm at the beginning of the journey of this I might think I might be onto something mm-hmm. and actually here's a sort of sample scene but that you probably need to have built up some sort of connection with that producer in order to be that kind of chatty Mm. but so I, su- I suppose the scary bit is the first is the first introduction so mm. in answer to your question I really think that does need to be as polished as you could possibly make it yeah and then just be receptive you know listen if it's a good producer you know they hopefully have really given it a bit of thought before mm-hmm. you meet and, and listen and you don't have to do everything they say mm-hmm. nod yeah <laughs> yeah um and then come away and go, do I want to work with that person? Mm-hmm. Don't have to work with the first person who shows you any kind of love. You can yeah. you can uh, chat to a number of people. You'll yeah. know quite quickly if you've got a really good project because you'll, yeah. you'll get answers and and then you've got choice and mm. then you can choose who, who you'd like to work with. Mm. I think a lot of new people just work with the first person who shows them the nice, yeah. slightest bit of interest. Yeah. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It's one of those, 
oh god but you know they might be the only one sort of <laughs> by your first your first real love or like yeah. partner or something you know you're a bit like oh i've got to keep hold of them because no one else will love me. no people will yeah. as long as you're it, getting better and yeah like, just you know be savvy be smart it's your own you know it's, it's a big deal you know? mm. yeah completely ask around yeah <laughs> um what skills to overcome self-doubt to help people finish scripts do you have say that again so what skills maybe hints tips or anything that you you've learned over the years to help overcome self-doubt on a script before sending or even finishing hmm. do you have um i mean everyone has self-doubt we all have <laughs> self-doubt so that's a really good human wonderful thing um i, I mean here's here's the boring answer i think talk to trusted friends who you can share something that might be a bit shit with without them feeling making you feel shit because of it mm. honestly uh, that that trusted person who's you can experiment with uh they're really i'm a big believer in these creative partnerships and that's a creative mm. partnership even if it's your mate down the pub type thing <laughs> um but i think self-doubt's fine and everyone feels it everyone feels it you, you let's face it you're making up a world on a for nothing, you mm. know, and you're you're convincing the audience that this is a believable place. You're lying brilliantly, yeah. and hopefully making them laugh along the way. Yeah, just try try it out until the self doubt voice isn't as loud as it was, and yeah. and, and 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 you know, really get get some people around a table and read it out. Read it out loud. You really know quite quickly. And if you're a performer, writer, performer, do do try and uh, get up on stage and. You know, is is there a way you can do something of that character and see if that mm. works? Try it out. Mm. Keep trying. Trusted people who won't laugh at you <laughs> in the wrong places. <laughs> fail, fail, fail again, or something like yeah, that. And you, yeah, and you know, listen to the beginning. You know, there are lots of stuff on YouTube about, about famous writers. Listen to them talk about the beginning of their careers. Mm. I don't think anyone arrived fully formed going, exactly what I want to do. And then also look at slightly safer spaces of writing in a team or writing on kids' thing or is there a radio thing? You know, I mainly deal in primetime, big, big half-hour sitcom, but there's loads of other places to Mm. be honing your craft. Um, So, yeah, even your Twitter voice is a really good place to do that. Mm. I, I'm really, I really admire people who just get off their ass and just do a thing and mm. create a character and put it out on Twitter. Mm. They're great. No, completely. Um, right, so these are the last quick fire questions. Um, quick for me, you, you take as long as you <laughs> need to do them. Um, who was the first person to believe in you? I think I should say in the telly world, otherwise it all gets a bit heavy. Um, I keep it open on purpose so you can <laughs> have you want. Don't, please take these arms out. They're really boring me as well as you. <laughs> But now I have to because it's funny that you've made it. Now. Oh, I'll take it Christ out. I'll take it out. I'll on take a bike. Do you know, I think it's back to Naira Park at Comic Strip. Oh, who yeah. in, you know, that, we had producing roles. It was not, not as creative, but just sort of sticking with someone like Naira, working with her was about the best training I could possibly ask for. <laughs> so, yeah. And then the wonderful, actually, mainly, I'm going to be honest, women across my career who just went, uh, can I say two people? Because yeah. I'm going to say Danielle Lux at the BBC. And I sort of said, God, am I, am I equipped to go to a read-through and tell a writer, give a writer feedback? And I'd never done that feedback thing. Mm. And she just gave me the confidence, like, you're a viewer, and 
whatever you feel and if you think something wasn't clear or something's missing you have you have the right to say it mm. so and that was quite, that was the beginning of this odd relationship of kind of editing and mm. thinking actually I'm I I can speak on behalf of a of a viewer so yeah I think Danielle was great great to work with and very nurturing and I'll pay her later no she can pay me later. <laughs> um Again, another open-ended question. Um, what is the best show you've ever seen? I, I'm going to say a recent example just because it hasn't just been a good one-off show but an incredible series and that's Succession. Um, what is the best book on comedy writing or stand-up that you've ever read? It's a slightly different thing, but David Nobbs wrote an autobiography. And what I love about those autobiographies is that you see the journey of someone who had all the self-doubt we've talked about mm. And, and had it all through through his career. Now seen as you know a veter- veteran and 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 godfather of you know amazing shows like Reggie Perrin. So I love an autobiography. So I think I'd go for David Nobbs autobiography. Um, what's one unpopular opinion about the TV industry that you have? I suppose celebrating female voices but trying to ring the changes and broaden out what sort of voice that is. And I've said it and occasionally get shouted down because, you know, it sounds like I'm not celebrating what's already out there, but I suppose the the feeling behind it is, and and make sure we have range, keep our eye on that, Mm. you know, please, (laughs) not all angst-ridden and totally screwed up. There's another... There's another show, I think, to be done, celebratory and joyous, and those aren't bad words for comedy. I think my uh, the thing that I see whenever that sort of thing happens is I, I don't quite understand that sort of feedback when it comes through because you sort of think, I think most people who are saying stuff like that have the best intentions for what they're saying, whereas I think most people see it as a personal attack on them <laughs> that are sort of feedbacking on it. And it's yeah. like, you, 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 you know... If if there is a quota or if there is a diversity or any of that sort of thing, if you didn't already get the nine slots that are available for, let's say, a white man, you weren't going to get the one they've now quoted. It just seems really odd to me like in that mm. respect. So I know what you mean, but I've never understood that feedback mm. from people. And I suppose, I don't know if you get it worse than I would because of the uh, position I, you're in. Or... I, th- I think sometimes... <clears throat> Because any any sort of the underdog point mm. of view in comedy it needs to be saying something that has to be sort of slightly tortured. Maybe this is mm. just my paranoia about it, but it was, I don't know if we have have to always be making a major point. Mm. Like just enjoy and entertain and mm-hmm. celebrate and not get too hung up on a majorly chewy, tricky... You know, that's there's, there's fine. Mm. It, it, and there's loads of brilliant shows like that. It's just, let's make sure we're keeping our eye on keeping that joyous, warm... I am mm. I love warm comedy, and I want, I want to, you know... I, it was an out-and-out, half-hour comedy shape, but Wurzel Gummidge at Christmas was just <laughs> a total pleasure. And so, yeah, uniting us, getting us to watch comedy together is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be an angsty thing yeah always um what's the biggest misconception people have about what you do god that's so hard to answer because i don't know what their what a misconception is i mean about me i know yeah. what a misconception yeah. is <laughs> i think i'm gonna slightly answer this in a way 
I think I've had to learn to not feel like an ex-commissioner. Right. Because I did that for 16 years, and that's quite a long time to do that job, and mm-hmm. feel like a kind of program maker and producer. Uh, and I don't know, uh, you know how I'm perceived, but I think mm-hmm. I've had to move across and recognise that I'm not an ex from something went mm-hmm. before I'm moving forward. And I, I think that change happened for me last year when we made Cockfields and went, okay, this is, this is it now. This we're, is you now, yeah. We're on, we're on this path now, and it feels very good. So... That's a t- I've fudged the question, but I think that's something I've personally been aware of, just mm. moving. It's hard to uh, completely change your identity within the same industry, but mm-hmm. I, so it took me a little while to get used to that mm-hmm. and not look back, but look forward. Completely. No, I get that. <laughs> what is the most interesting thing you do that no one, ever, no one else gets to see? Interesting thing I do. Well, I suppose my secret thing is I, I paint and I draw, so that's my mm. other life. What style? Any particular... Oh, a kind of uh, line, line. Oh, what style? God, I don't the, know. The the sort of those sort of block line things. <laughs> no, like for like like life drawing and um, oh, okay. yeah, drawing from life. I suppose. Like what style? balls of fruit type thing, or something. That's bit, all I think. Of maybe a bit of. more interesting than that. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Is that like the entry level? That's <laughs> no, fine. No, it's like illustrating and yeah, blah blah blah. That's oh. it. Does As that, you can tell, I'm not very good at talking about it. No, no. Have you ever done artwork for a show on the back of that? or is uh, No, I sort of keep, keep those things apart. Okay. It's, it's my little thing on the other the other bit of me, yeah. which I really like keep keeping going with. It's nice uh, diversion from day to day. It's worth having something outside of your actual job. Yeah, to yeah. I get that. Who do you think is the most underrated person in the TV industry? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can you take out the oh my gods? Um, no, they're staying in. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. In fact, I'm going to cut and paste them just more in. Just There are some amazing people who um, are just so wonderfully egoless. I, I, okay, you, you may not know Claire Broughton, but she worked for Hattrick for years, and she's one of these wonderful unsung people, being Jimmy Melville's assistant, and I'm a huge fan, and she's, she's actually left and is going to oh. be producing, I think. And so, but the people might know Claire and so there are a lot of people like that who mm. kind of the wind beneath the wings yeah. who haven't craved being in the limelight <laughs> but are really really valued so i'm gonna say claire yeah yeah they're, they're the kind of people where things wouldn't happen without them yeah and they still don't want you to know who they are <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. There's a lot of them in the industry. Yeah. No, it's why I ask that question, because I always think it's worth knowing people who don't get that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy TV industry, and how would you go about solving it? Oh, God, that's a massive question. Hold on. (laughs) Should I move that to the front of the podcast next time? I'm just trying to think of what's the biggest, the biggest problem. Sorry, big pause. That's okay. Cut the pause. I'll edit the pause. It's hard to think of the biggest... Sorry, I'm being very literal. literal. It can be just the biggest that affects you or that you think affects a part of the industry that you would like to see changed. I try, I try and keep these questions open because they're, they're more about how you see the, the industry yeah. than the way that I want to ask you a question, if that makes sense. What I find tricky is that industry-wide thing. Uh, I mean, it's not an exciting answer, but I think... <laughs> cut, cut, cut. <laughs> I do. Th- I, I think we've still got to work so hard on making sure that we are um, making sure our comedy reflects the breadth of Britain, the mm-hmm. breadth of Britain, and keeping it joyous as well. So, and um, we can think we're doing loads in that area, but we're, you know, unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. I think is it, it's just it, it's inevitable, but. Uh, 
maybe maybe we should should look at those commissioning teams hey when i was in commissioning i was white white female so it's hard for me to mm. do a vast amount about it but just make it make sure that you know it's there are fashionable ways to behave as a commissioner there's a fashionable way to speak mm-hmm. to feel that you belong uh within a, a group of people a group think mm. and you've got to try and let those individuals come through with different opinion from yours mm. and uh, a different set of talent that they think should be being heard i was just going to keep working on it keep keep talking about it yeah i think that's the thing i'll still go back to yeah making sure that those commissioning teams feel Mm -hmm. representative of the audience what is the biggest disadvantage of being you (laughs) being me yeah I suppose uh, what well, uh, it's it's again uh, m- me coming to terms with the fact that quite late in my career I flipped to the other side. Mm-hmm. So and I used to really know everything. <laughs> I've got mm-hmm. to really get used to not and let other people. That's that's that that's their time now and and actually enjoy all the freedom that's come with with being being my own boss and I mean amazing thing of going on one's own set and it, your show is happening and it that's such a buzz mm-hmm. but it took me a little while to get used to um to you know there's a lot of lot of trappings that come mm-hmm. with those roles and you're taking up for lunch every five seconds everyone's <laughs> sucking up to you because they want something from you and then that stops and you have to completely <laughs> rework your your relationships with people who used to look at you in a completely different way as, mm-hmm. as someone that to pitch to so so that's been that's been something to kind of really really work on but yeah a real change happened with getting my series going that was a real buzz and kind of defined me in this new role what was your first artistic stumbling block and how did you overcome it do you mean is is yellow door do you think yeah, probably more as yellow door or maybe as a writer like in stuff that you've worked on like what was the first thing that basically you sort of hit a hit a roadblock or or, or sort of you know everything was going well and it derailed derailed what you were doing for yeah whatever reason. Um, i think that first year of of developing ideas and feeling if i was a commissioner i would go for this and having in fact i did fine and it was really nice i had i had a lot of development to ideas and then those ideas did happen and some didn't happen Mm -hmm. and i suppose that that was it that first year of having my own company (laughs) and having to really adjust that someone else is now going to possibly say no yeah yeah so but but then i you know i'm no fool at I knew I knew that was coming, but it really feels painful when it happens. And if anyone says it doesn't, they're bloody lying. Yeah. So yeah, something you really, really believe in, and you really are sure that it would happen, and then it doesn't happen. You go, okay, this is what this feels like. <laughs> and I've been the one saying no before, and I've got to take the nose now. Mm-hmm. And you you pick yourself up, and the other thing, you have loads of plates spinning. So so if one doesn't happen, something else will. And so keep busy and keep keep. Uh, engaging with fresh ideas and then every day is so exciting because it's Mm. it's, you don't know what next door will open so yeah first knockbacks weren't you know weren't weren't easy but it's about getting used to this role um last question if you could go back to any point in your career and give yourself one bit of advice what would it be and when well i think i think it was when i got the controller of commissioning job just feeling a little bit more sure about the fact you know you got the job yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again a bit of self-doubt and mm. what's the the term for it is um, um imposter imposter syndrome yes imposter yeah. syndrome at the beginning of that role and uh, there's no there's no in a way there's sort of no point because i think i was just just 
that sort of person at that time going, bloody hell, I've got this job kind of quite quickly. But, you know, get on get on with it a bit more quickly and stop worrying about it. But, hey, it was a great job and I really, really enjoyed it. That was then, but this is now. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. That was Lucy. Oh, I loved hearing her thoughts about the future of TV, her unique and interesting relationship with the Edinburgh Fringe. Of course, moving from commissioner to producer means that she has a full rounded view of TV land and everything that goes on within it. As mentioned before, uh, Yellow Door and British Comedy Guide have teamed up to offer writers the chance to submit a 10-page story to potentially get picked up to be developed into a script that will be optioned and taken forward to TV channels with Lucy and her team behind it. An amazing opportunity, doesn't come around every day. So, if you want to enter, in order to enter, sorry, uh, you need to be a BCG Pro member. In order to do that, I'm a member and I love it. I use it probably three or four times a week, which is pretty good for a website that isn't a social network site. It's absolutely awesome, it's really helpful, it has behind the scenes content, it has unique content, it has competitions like this one, Uh, coming up on a regular basis including their weekly writing challenges so i really recommend it i highly love it myself if you use code ati that's ati you save five pound off a yearly membership and i get a few quid towards the running costs of the show so please do use that code if you're going to sign up Um, Also, uh, Lucy spoke a bit in the podcast about John Plowman, uh, a former ATI guest, and I highly recommend his podcast. I'm also going to recommend the podcast with Mark from the British Comedy Guide, where he goes into more detail about BCG Pro, what that side of the website does, as well as what the website in general does to support comedians at all levels. I really, really think you'll get a lot out of those. So... The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. And thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days time. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.